0: Chapter sixty of a popular history of France from the earliest times, Volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, Volume six by François Guizot, translated by Robert Black. Chapter sixty: Louis the Sixteenth, Convocation of the States General, seventeen eighty-seven to seventeen eighty-nine, Part one. Quote, Thirteen years had rolled by since King Louis the fifteenth had descended to a dishonored grave, and on the mighty current which was bearing France towards reform whilst dragging her into the revolution, King Louis the sixteenth, honest and sincere, was still blindly seeking to clutch the helm which was slipping from his feeble hands. Every day his efforts were becoming weaker and more inconsistent. Every day the pilot placed at the tiller was less and less deserving of public confidence. From M. Turgot to M. Necker, from Calonne to Lomenie de Brienne, the fall had been rapid and deep. Amongst the two parties which unequally divided the nation, between those who defended the past in its entirety, its abuses as well as its grandeurs, and those who were marching on bewildered towards a reform of which they did not foresee the scope, The struggle underwent certain moments of stoppage and of abrupt reaction towards the old state of things in 1781 the day after m necker's fall an ordinance of the minister of war published against the will of that minister himself had restored to the verified and qualified noblesse who could show four quarterings the exclusive privilege of military grades without any ordinance the same regulation had been applied to the clergy in seventeen eighty seven the assembly of notables and its opposition to the king's projects presented by m de calonne were the last triumph of the enthusiastic partisans of the past the privileged classes had still too much influence to be attacked with success by m de calonne who appeared to be in himself an assemblage of all the abuses whereof he desired to be the reformer a plan so vast however ably conceived was sure to go to pieces in the hands of a man who did not enjoy public esteem and confidence, but the triumph of the notables in their own cause was a fresh warning to the people that they would have to defend theirs with more vigour. Memoirs de Malouet, page 253. We have seen how monarchy, in concert with the nation, fought feudality, to reign thenceforth as sovereign mistress over the great lords and over the nation we have seen how it slowly fell in public respect and veneration, and how it attempted unsuccessfully to respond to the confused wishes of a people that did not yet know its own desires or its own strengths. We shall henceforth see it, panting and without sure guidance, painfully striving to govern and then to live. Quote, I saw, says M. Malouet in his memoirs, under the ministry of the Archbishop of Toulouse and afterwards of Sens all the avant courrier of a revolution in the government three parties were already pronounced the first wanted to take to itself all the influence of which it despoiled the king whilst withstanding the pretensions of the third estate the second proclaimed open war against the two upper orders and already laid down the bases of a democratic government the third which was at that time the most numerous although it was that of the wisest men dreaded the ebullience of the other two wanted compromises reforms and not revolution by their conflicts the two extreme parties were to stifle for a while the party of the wise men the true exponent of the national aspirations and hopes which was destined through a course of cruel vicissitudes and long trials to yet save and govern the country the assembly of notables had abdicated contenting itself with a negative triumph it had left to the royal wisdom and responsibility the burden of decisions which louis the sixteenth had hoped to get sanctioned by an old and respected authority the public were expecting to see all the edicts successively presented to the notables as integral portions of a vast system forthwith assume force of law by simultaneous registration of parliament the feebleness and inconsistency of governors often stultify the most sensible foresight m de brienne had come into office as a support to the king's desires and intentions, for the purpose of obtaining from the notables what was refused through their aversion for M. de Calonne. As soon as he was free of the notables, as well as of M. de Calonne, he hesitated, drew back, waited, leaving time for a fresh opposition to form and take its measures. He had nothing but bad moves to make, says M. Mignet. Three edicts touching the trade in grain, forced labor and the provincial assemblies, were first sent up to the Parliament and unregistered without any difficulty. The two edicts touching the stamp tax and equal assessment of the impost were to meet with more hindrance. The latter, at any rate, united the sympathies of all the partisans of genuine reforms. The edict touching the stamp tax was by itself and first submitted for the approval of the magistrates. They rejected it, Asking like the notables for a communication as to the state of finance, quote, it is not states of finance we want," exclaimed a councillor, Sabatier de Cabre. "It is States General." End quote. This bold sally became a theme for deliberation in the Parliament. Quote, the nation represented by the States General, the court declared, is alone entitled to grant the king's subsidies, of which the need is clearly demonstrated. End quote at the same time the parliament demanded the impeachment of m de calonne he took fright and sought refuge in england the mob rose in paris imputing to the court the prodigalities with which the parliament reproached the late Controller general sad symptom of the fatal progress of public opinion the cries heretofore raised against the queen under the name of austrian were now uttered against madame deficit pending the time when the fearful title of madame Vito would give place in its turn to the sad name of the woman Capet given to the victim of october sixteenth seventeen ninety three the king summoned the parliament to versailles and on the sixth of august seventeen eighty seven the edicts touching the stamp-tax and territorial subvention were enregistered in bed of justice the parliament had protested in advance against this act of royal authority which it called quote, a phantom of deliberation end quote. On the 13th of August, the Court declared, quote, the registration of the edicts null and without effect, incompetent to authorize the collection of imposts opposed to all principles, end quote. This resolution was sent to all the seneschalties and bailiwicks in the district. It was in the name of the privilege of the two upper orders that the Parliament of Paris contested the royal edicts, and made appeal to the supreme jurisdiction of the States-General. The people did not see it, they took out the horses of M. Despremenil, whose fiery eloquence had won over a great number of his colleagues, and he was carried in triumph. On the 15th of August, the Parliament was sent away to Troyes. Banishment far away from the capital, from the ferment of spirits, and from the noisy centre of their admirers, had more than once brought down the pride of the members of Parliament. They were now sustained by the sympathy ardently manifested by nearly all the sovereign courts. Quote, incessantly repeated stretches of authority said the parliament of besancon forced registrations banishments constraint and severity instead of justice are astounding in an enlightened age wound a nation that idolizes its kings but is free and proud frees the heart and might break ties which unite sovereigns to subjects and subjects to sovereign quote. the parliament of paris declared that it needed no authority for its sittings, considering that it rendered justice wherever it happened to be assembled. Quote, the monarchy would be transfigured into a despotic form, said the decree, if ministers could dispose of persons by sealed letters, or lettres de cachet, property by beds of justice, criminal matters by change of venue, or évocation, or cassation, and suspend the course of justice by special banishments or arbitrary removals negotiations were going on however the government agreed to withdraw the new imposts which it had declared to be indispensable the parliament which had declared itself incompetent as to the establishment of taxes prorogued for two years the second twentieth we left paris with glory upon us we shall return with mud protested m d'espremenil in vain more moderate but not less resolute duport robert de st vincent and sought to sustain by their speeches the wavering resolution of their colleagues. The Parliament was recalled to Paris on the 19th of September, 1787. The State of Europe inclined men's minds to reciprocal concessions. A disquieting good understanding appeared to be growing up between Russia and Austria. The Emperor Joseph II had just paid a visit to the Crimea with the Tsarina. I fancy I am still dreaming, wrote the Prince of Ling who had the honour of being in the trip, when in a carriage with six places, which is a real triumphal car adorned with ciphers and precious stones, I find myself seated between two persons on whose shoulders the heat often sets me dozing, and I fear as I wake up one of my comrades say to the other, I have thirty millions of subjects, they say, counting males only. And I twenty-two, replies the other, all included." I require, adds the former, an army of at least six hundred thousand men between Kamchatka and Riga. With half that, replies the other, I have just what I require. God knows how we settle all the states and great personages. Rather than sign the separation of thirteen provinces like my brother George, says Catherine Second sweetly, I would have put a bullet through my head. And rather than give in my resignation like my brother and brother-in-law, by convoking and assembling the nation to talk over abuses, I don't know what I wouldn't have done,' says Joseph II." Before the two allies could carry out their designs against Turkey, that ancient power, enfeebled as it was, had taken the offensive at the instigation of England. The King of Sweden, on his side, invaded Russia. War burst out in all directions. The traditional influence of France remained powerless in the East to maintain peace. The long weakness of the government was everywhere bearing fruit. Nowhere was this grievous impotence more painfully striking than in Holland. Supported by England, whose slavish instrument he had been for so long, the Stadtholder William V was struggling, with the help of the mob, against the patriotic, independent, and proud patricians. For the last sixty years the position of Holland had been constantly declining in Europe, she is afraid of everything said count de broglie in seventeen seventy three she puts up with everything grumbles at everything and secures herself against nothing quote, holland might pay all the armies of europe people said in seventeen eighty seven she couldn't manage to hold her own against any one of them quote. the civil war imminent in her midst and fomented by england had aroused the solicitude of m de calonne had prepared the resources necessary for forming a camp near Givet. His successor diverted the funds to another object. When the Prussians entered Dutch territory, being summoned to the Stadtholder's aid by his wife, sister of the young King Frederick William II, the French government afforded no assistance to its ally. It confined itself to offering an asylum to the Dutch patriots, long encouraged by its diplomatists, and now vanquished in their own country which was henceforth under the yoke of england france has fallen i doubt whether she will get up again said the emperor joseph the second we have been caught napping wrote m de lafayette to washington the king of prussia has been ill-advised the dutch are ruined and england finds herself the only power which has gained in the bargain the echo of humiliations abroad came to swell the dull murmur of public discontent disturbance was arising everywhere from stagnant chaos france has passed to tumultuous chaos wrote mirabeau already an influential publicist despite the irregularity of his morals and the small esteem excited by his life there may there should come a creation out of it the parliament soon resumed its defiant attitude like m de Lafayette at the assembly of notables it demanded the convocation of the states-general at a fixed epoch in seventeen ninety two it was the date fixed by m de brienne in a vast financial scheme which he had boldly proposed for registration by the court by means of a series of loans which were to reach the enormous total of four hundred and twenty millions the states-general assembled on the conclusion of this vast operation and relieved from all pecuniary embarrassment would be able to concentrate their thoughts on the important interests of the future at the same time with the lone edict brienne presented to the parliament the law scheme for so long a time under discussion on behalf of protestants the king had repaired in person to the palace in royal session the keeper of the seals lamoignon expounded the necessity of the edicts Quote, to the monarch alone he repeated belongs the legislative power without dependence and without partition this was throwing down the gauntlet to the whole assembly as well as to public opinion abbe Sabatier and councillor Freteau had already spoken when robert de st vincent rose an old jansenist and an old member of parliament accustomed to express his thoughts roughly quote, who without dismay can hear loans still talked of he exclaimed and for what sum four hundred and twenty millions a plan is being formed for five years but since your majesty's reign began have the same views ever directed the administration of finance for five years in succession can you be ignorant sir here he addressed himself to the Controller general that each minister as he steps into his place rejects the system of his predecessor in order to substitute that which he has devised within only eight months you are the fourth minister of finance and yet you are forming a plan which cannot be accomplished in less than five years the remedy sir for the wounds of the state has been pointed out by your parliament it is the convocation of the states-general their convocation to be salutary must be prompt your ministers would like to avoid this assembly whose surveillance they dread their hope is vain before two years are over the necessities of the state will force you to convoke the states-general m Desprenil was overcome less violent than usual he had appealed to the king's heart for a moment louis the sixteenth appeared to be moved and so was the assembly with him the edicts were about to be enregistered despite the efforts of the opposition already the premier president was collecting the votes the keeper of the seals would not at this grave moment renounce any kingly prerogative when the king is at the parliament there is no deliberation his will makes law said the legal rule and the custom of the magistracy lamoignon went up to the throne He said a few words in a low voice, Mr. Keeper of the Seals, have the edicts enregistered, said Louis the sixteenth. The minister immediately repeated the formula used at beds of justice. A murmur ran through the assembly. The Duke of Orleans rose. He had recently become the head of his house through his father's death, and found himself more than ever involved in intrigues hostile to the court. Sir, said he in a broken voice, this registration appears to me illegal it should be distinctly stated that the registration is done by the express command of your majesty the king was as much moved as the prince it is all the same to me he replied you are master of course yes it is legal because i so will the edict relative to non-catholics was read and louis the sixteenth withdrew there was violent commotion in the assembly the protest of the Duke of Orléans was drawn up in a more explicit form. Quote, the difference between a bed of justice and a royal session is that one exhibits the frankness of despotism, and the other its duplicity, cried Desperminel. Notwithstanding the efforts of M. de Malzerbe and the Duke of Nivernais, the Parliament inscribed on the registers that it was not to be understood to take any part in the transcription, here ordered, of gradual and progressive loans for the years 1788 eighty nine ninety ninety one and ninety two in reply the duke of orleans was banished to villers-cotterêts whilst councillors prteaux and sabatier were arrested and taken to a state prison by the scandalousness of his life as well as by his obstructive buildings in the palais royal the duke of orleans had lost favor with the public his protest and his banishment restored him at once to his popularity the parliament piled remonstrance upon remonstrance every day more and more haughty in form as well as in substance dipping into the archives in search of antiquated laws the magistrates appealed to the liberties of olden france mingling therewith the novel principles of the modern philosophy several pretty well-known facts they said prove that the nation more enlightened as to its true interests even in the least elevated classes is disposed to accept from the hands of your majesty the greatest blessing a king can bestow upon his subjects liberty. It is this blessing, sir, which your Parliament come to ask you to restore in the name of a generous and faithful people. It is no longer a prince of your blood. It is no longer two magistrates whom your Parliament ask you to restore in the name of the laws and of reason, but three Frenchmen, three men." Quote. To peremptory demands were added perfidious insinuations. Quote, "'Such ways, sir,' said one of these remonstrances, have no place in your heart, such samples of proceeding are not the principles of your majesty they come from another source for the first time the queen was thus held up to public odium by the parliament which had dealt her a fatal blow by acquitting cardinal she was often present at the king's conferences with his ministers reluctantly and by the advice of m de brienne for and in whom louis the sixteenth never felt any liking or confidence "'There is no more happiness for me since they have made me an intriguer,' she said sadly to Madame Campin. And when the latter objected, "'Yes,' replied the Queen, it is the proper word. Every woman who meddles in matters above her lights and beyond the limits of her duty is nothing but an intriguer. You will remember, however, that I do not spare myself, and that it is with regret I give myself such a title. The other day, as I was crossing the bull's-eye, or oeil-de-boeuf, to go to a private committee at the King's, I heard one of the chapel-bands say out loud, A queen who does her duty remains in her rooms at her needlework. I said to myself, Thou art quite right, wretch, that thou knowest not my position. I yield to necessity and my evil destiny." Quote. A true daughter of Maria Theresa in her imprisonment and on the scaffold, Marie Antoinette had neither the indomitable perseverance nor the simple grandeur in political views which had restored the imperial throne in the case of her illustrious mother she weakened beneath a burden too heavy for a mind so long accustomed to the facile pleasures of youth Quote, the queen certainly has wits and firmness which might suffice for great things wrote her friend the count of la to m de Mercy argenteau her mother's faithful agent in france but it must be confessed that whether in business or in mere conversation she does not always exhibit that degree of attention and that persistence which are indispensable for getting at the bottom of what one ought to know, in order to prevent errors and to ensure success. The same want of purpose and persistence of which the Count of La Marque complained was strikingly apparent everywhere and in all matters. The Duke of Orléans was soon tired of banishment. He wrote to the Queen, who obtained his recall. The ministers were making mysterious preparations for a grand stroke the parliament still agitated and anxious had at last enregistered the edict relating to non-catholics public opinion like the government supported it eagerly the principles of tolerance which had prompted it were henceforth accepted by all certain bishops and certain bigots were still trying to hinder this first step towards a legal status for a long while refused to protestants m despremenil an earnest disciple of the philosophe inconnu the mystic Saint Martin just as he had been the dupe of mesmer and of cagliostro, was almost single-handed in the parliament in his opposition to the registration of the edict. Extending his hand towards the crucifix, he exclaimed with violence, Would you crucify him a second time? The court was a better judge of Christian principles, and protestants were permitted to be born, to marry, and to die on French territory. The edict did not as yet concede to them any other right. The contest extended as it grew hotter. Everywhere the Parliaments took up the quarrel of the Court of Paris. The formation of the provincial assemblies furnished new centres of opposition. The petty noblesse made alliance with the magistracy. The antagonism of principles became every day more evident. After the five months elapsed since the royal session, the Parliament was still protesting against the violence done to it. I had no need to take or count the votes, said the King's reply being present at the deliberation i judged for myself without taking any account of plurality if plurality in my courts were to force my will the monarchy would be nothing but an aristocracy of magistrates Quote, no sir no aristocracy in france but no despotism either replied the members of parliament the indiscretion of a printer made m d'Espremenel acquainted with the great designs which were in preparation At his instigation, the Parliament issued a declaration as to the reciprocal rights and duties of the monarch and the nation. France, said the resolution, is a monarchy hereditary from male to male, governed by the king following the laws. It has for fundamental laws the nation's right to freely grant subsidies by means of the states-general, convoked and composed according to regulation, the customs and capitulations of the provinces, the irremovability of the magistrates the right of the courts to enregister edicts, and that of each citizen to be judged only by his natural judges, without liability ever to be arrested arbitrarily. The magistrates must cease to exist before the nation ceases to be free, said a second protest. Bold and defiant in its grotesque mixture of the ancient principles of the magistracy with the novel theories of philosophy, the resolution of the Parliament was quashed by the King orders were given to arrest m d'espremenil and a young councillor goissillard de montasper who had proposed an inquiry into the conduct of the controllers commissioned to collect the second twentieth the police of the parliament was perfect and vigilant the two magistrates were warned and took refuge in the palace of justice all the chambers were assembled and the peers convoked ten or a dozen appeared notwithstanding the king's express prohibition the Parliament had placed the two threatened members, quote, under the protection of the King and of the law, quote. The Premier President, at the head of the deputation, had set out for Versailles to demand immunity for the accused. The court was in session, awaiting his return. The mob thronged the precincts of the palace. Some persons had even penetrated into the grand chamber. No deliberations went on. Towards midnight, several companies of the French guards entered the hall of the Pas-Perdue all the exits were guarded the court was in commotion the young councillors demanded that the deliberation should go on publicly gentlemen said president de gourgues would you derogate from the ancient forms?" the spectators withdrew the marquis aide-major of the french guards demanded admission he had orders from the king the ushers opened the doors at sight of the magistrates in scarlet robes motionless upon their seats the officer was for a moment abashed. He cast his eye from bench to bench. His voice faltered when he read the order signed by the king to arrest, quote, Messieurs d'Espreménil and de Montasbert in the grand chamber or elsewhere. Quote, the court will proceed to deliberate thereon, sir, replied the president. Quote, Your forms are to deliberate, hotly replied M. Dagout, who had recovered himself. I know nothing of those forms. The king's orders must be executed without delay. Point out to me those whom I have to arrest. End quote. Silence reigned throughout the hall. Not a word, not a gesture indicated the accused. Only the dukes and peers made merry aloud over the nobleman charged with so disagreeable a mission. He repeated his demand. Quote, "We are all despréminel and Montasper," exclaimed the magistrates. M. Dagout left the room. He soon returned, accompanied by an exon of the short robe named Larchier. show me whom i have to arrest was the officer's order the exon looked all round the room he knew every one of the magistrates the accused were sitting right in front of him i do not see messieurs despremenil and Montasper anywhere he at last said tremulously monsieur d'agou's threats could not get any other answer out of him the officer had gone to ask for fresh orders the deputation sent to versailles had returned without having been received by louis the 16th of whom an audience had not been requested the court wanted to send some of the king's people at once to notify a fresh request the troops guarded all the doors nobody could leave the palace Quote, gentlemen said d'espremenil at last it would be contrary to our honour as well as to the dignity of the parliament to prolong this scene any further and besides we cannot be the ruin of Larcher. Let M. D'Agoux be shown in again, The officer was recalled, the magistrates receded and covered, quote, Sir, said M. d'Espreménil, I am one of those you are in search of. The law forbids me to obey orders irregularly obtained, or surpris, of the sovereign, and it is to be faithful to him that I have not mentioned who I am until this moment. I call upon you to state whether, in case I should not go with you voluntarily, you have orders to drag me from this building. Quote, certainly sir Dagou was already striding towards the door to order in his troops quote, enough said M. I yield to force End quote. and turning to his colleagues quote, gentlemen he said to you i protest against the violence of which i am the object forget me and think henceforth of nothing but the common weal i commend to you my family whatever may be my fate i shall never cease to glory in professing to the last hour the principles which do honour to this court." He made a deep obeisance, and followed the major, going out by the secret staircases, in order to avoid the crowd whose shouts could be heard even within the palace buildings. Gosselin de Montasper followed his colleague's example. He was confined at pierre M. d'Espremenil had been taken to the Isle of St. Marguerite useless and ill-judged violence which excited the passions of the public without intimidating opponents. The day after the scene of May 6th, at the moment when the whole magistracy of France was growing hot over the thrilling account of the arrest of the two councillors, the Parliament of Paris was sent for to Versailles, May 8, 1788. The magistrates knew beforehand what fate awaited them. The King uttered a few severe words, after a pompous preamble the keeper of the seals read out six fresh edicts intended to ruin for ever the power of the sovereign courts chapter sixty part one